We're continuing our series in the study of the book of Joshua entitled, Set Foot on the Road Never Traveled. If you imagine the book of Joshua as a Netflix series, we can say that it is divided into three sections or three seasons. Season 1 is entering the promised land, that's chapters 1 to 5. Season 2, conquering the promised land, that's chapters 6 to 12. And season 3, dividing the promised land, chapters 13 to 24. And today, we will look at Joshua chapter 6. This is the beginning of the second season in which the story of Joshua and the people of Israel as they face their first battle, as they start conquering the promised land. And the title of our message today is Victory Over the Impossible. Some of you are currently facing a seemingly impossible situation now. It could be a challenge in your family, in your marriage, or your work. It could be dealing with a serious health issue and there is no solution in sight. Or perhaps you are praying to overcome a specific sin or addiction in your life, but there's no improvement from your end. Some of you are facing walls of impossibilities and you are stuck in that hopeless situation. Now, what can you do to move forward? How can you experience breakthrough? In Joshua chapter 6, the people of God also face walls of impossibility. They're stuck in a difficult situation. However, they experience a breakthrough and gain victory over the impossible. Now, the question is, how did they overcome it? What did they do? To answer that question, I invite you to turn with me to Joshua chapter 6. And together, let us learn how to gain victory over the impossible. Now, as we begin, let me share with you this fundamental principle. And this is a key principle at work all throughout the book of Joshua, not just in Joshua chapter 3, not just here in Joshua 6, but all throughout the book of Joshua. This key principle is something that is present. It tells us how God works with his people in every generation to give them victory over the impossible. Are you ready? Here's the key principle that we will unpack today. To gain victory over the impossible, know who's in charge, carry out God's plan, and keep on going. You see, God gives his people victory over the impossible when they know who's in charge, carry out God's plan, and keep on going. So let's unpack this. The first, know who is in charge. Joshua 6 verse 1. Now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because of the Israelites. No one was allowed to go in or out. Well, what's happening here? The people of Jericho was on tight lockdown. Security was so tight that no one was allowed to go inside or outside the city. Why? It's not because of COVID, but there's something more serious and it's worse than that. It's because the people of Jericho were afraid of the Israelites. Remember, even before the Israelites crossed the Jordan River, the people of Jericho were already afraid. That's what Rahab said in Joshua chapter 2. They were so afraid of the Israelites and they have heard how God helped them through those miraculous events. Now at this point, the Israelites already crossed the Jordan River. They are now very near the city of Jericho. And so the people of Canaan had more reasons to be afraid. Now, chapter 5 tells us, It came about that when all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard how the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan before the sons of Israel until they had crossed, that their hearts melted and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the sons of Israel. The Canaanites were so afraid. 
And so what did the people do? What did the people of Jericho do? They shut down their gates and they hid behind the walls of their city. Why? Because basically they have no choice, but there's something else. Let me tell you about the city of Jericho. For the Canaanites, they consider Jericho as an invincible fortress. It's a symbol of military power and strength. An archaeologist tells us that the city had double walls. The outer wall was six feet thick. The inner wall was about 12 feet thick. Also, Jericho was built on a hill, so it's located on a high ground. And as you can see, the city was easy to defend and difficult to invade. And not only that, Joshua 6 verse 2 tells us that God himself described Jericho's warriors as valiant warriors. They are mighty men of war. And so that's the good news for the people of Jericho. They have secured walls, they have strong fortress, and they have strong warriors. And that's the bad news for the people of Israel. In other words, Jericho is impossible to conquer. But despite the impossible situation, what did God say to Joshua? Look at verses 2 to 3. But the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, its kings, and all its strong warriors. You and your fighting men should march around the city once a day for six days. Now, if you were Joshua, would you obey God? Would you believe God's word? What would you do? Looking at it from every angle, it's impossible to defeat Jericho. With its high and thick walls, with its well-trained army, it's difficult to break through. Again, if you were Joshua, would you obey God and would you listen to his command? See in the story, Joshua fully obeyed God. Why? It is because Joshua learned this first principle. Joshua knew who's truly in charge. He understood who is truly in charge. On the eve of the battle of Jericho, Joshua surveyed the land and the city's defenses. And as a commander of the army, he's planning the best strategy how to attack the city. But something happened. It says in Joshua 5, 13 to 14, when Joshua was near the town of Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a sword in hand. Joshua went up to him and demanded, are you a friend or a foe? Joshua was curious. And to his surprise, this man answered, neither one. He replied, instead, I am the commander of the Lord's army. Did you hear that? The man said, I am the commander of the Lord's army. Joshua was the commander at that time, but this figure said, I am the commander of the Lord's army. Now, some Bible scholars says that this commander was an angel of God with a high-ranking position. But others believe that this figure was God the Son himself. This person was the pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Joshua acknowledged this commander came from God, he represented the Lord, and he had authority over him. And look at what Joshua did, verses 14 to 15. At this, Joshua fell with his face to the ground in reverence and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? Notice what Joshua said. He called this, this figure, this man, Lord or Master, and he himself, Joshua called himself as a servant. And not only that, Joshua also bowed down in humility and reverence. You see, Joshua understood who's truly in charge. Yes, he's the commander of God's people. He is the leader of the people of Israel. But he understood that God is the absolute leader. God is the Lord, the one who is in charge. And God is the commander in chief. But Joshua is only God's servant. And so Joshua humbly bowed down and surrendered 
to this commander and he gave all the rights to lead God's people. How about you? Who's in charge of your life? Is it you or is it the Lord? And how does your action reveal what you say? Does your action really say God is in charge or you just say it with your lips, but your action says otherwise? Now this year, starting January this year, we have a fresh start to apply this principle. And for me, this is what I do. As to acknowledge that God is the Lord and the master of my life, every time, every day, every morning before I start my day, I spend time with God. I spend time with the Lord in prayer, reading his word, having my personal worship. But then I also ask this specific question as I pray to God, I tell the Lord and ask him, Lord, what is your mission order for me today? What is your mission order for me today? You are my master. I am your servant. Lord, you are my commander. I am your soldier. Tell me, what do you want me to do? And by the grace of God, I was able to do this consistently. And through this time, I hear the Lord and give, he gives me idea what to do, what not to do, who to pray for, who the people to remember, what sins I need to repent of, what changes I need to do. In other words, I am submitting all of my plan for the day to the Lord. And why do I do this? Because I understand that I'm facing impossible situations daily. Just think about it. The demands of life is so overwhelming. Won't you agree? There's so much demand just to keep ourselves healthy. There's a demand in our relationship, our marriage, our family, our parenting, our studies. There's also a demand for work in handling our finances, doing ministry, and other emergencies. All of these things are so overwhelming and it's impossible to gain a win in every, each, in each of these categories. It's so impossible to maintain a, um, to be successful in all of these areas by just relying on our own. Now, if you think you're in charge, what will happen? You look at life and you'd see obstacles. You won't be able to overcome the challenges ahead of you. All you'd see are the walls that would keep you from moving forward, from experiencing God's promise. And you would tell yourself, no, these walls are impossible to breach. These walls are impenetrable. And you may think, there's nothing I can do to improve my marriage. It's impossible for my finances to change and improve. It's impossible to be better in my parenting. There's no hope for me. But if you know that God is the one who is in charge, then your perspective about your walls will change. Why? Because God is the God of the impossible. And that is what I experienced also personally as I listen to God, as I wait on the Lord. These are the things that I, I plan for the day. But then when I sit down in front of God and say, okay, son, choose these things. Do this, don't do that. Do it in a little while. Do it later. Do this immediately. It is God who directs me what to do and what not to. And because of that, it is God who enabled me to face the impossible. Again, God is the God of the impossible. He is the one who said this. In Matthew 19, 26, Jesus said, With people, this is impossible. With, with God, all things are possible. This verse in Matthew, in its context, talks about salvation. But the principle also applies to life in general. With God, all things are possible. 
So remember today that when you look in your life, especially facing the impossible situations, remember that God is beyond the limits of what's possible. For Him, there is no sin that is beyond impossible to forgive. No sickness is impossible to heal. And no challenge is impossible to overcome. But first, before we overcome, before we gain victory over the impossible, we need to acknowledge who God is and who is the one truly in charge of our lives. So here's the second. Carry out God's plan. Carry out God's plan. After Joshua submitted to the commander of the Lord's army, here is the battle plan that God gave Joshua. Verses 3 to 5. You and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you are to march around the town seven times with the priests blowing the horns. When you hear the priests give one long blast on the ram's horn, have all the people shout as loud as they can. Then the walls of the town will collapse and the people can charge straight into the town. So here is what the battle plan that God tells Joshua. Here's the strategy. March, blow, shout. March around the city, blow the trumpets, and at the right time, shout with a loud shout. Now think about it. If you're a soldier, would you agree that this plan is sound? You'd say, that's crazy. That is so foolish. From a human perspective, this, is, this won't work. How can you break through the walls of Jericho by just marching around, blowing the trumpets, and then shouting? It doesn't make sense. You see, from a military standpoint, the best strategy to use against a fortress is to have a siege. To make a siege is to surround the city, cut off its food and water supply, and force the city to surrender through starvation. But that could take months or even years. Remember, during this time, it was already harvest time. So the people of Jericho could have already gathered their food supply and most likely they have sufficient to sustain them for a long siege. And so Joshua is facing an impossible situation. But how did Joshua respond to this crazy strategy? Look at what verse 6 to 7 tells us. Joshua called together the priests and said, Take up the Ark of the Lord's Covenant and assign seven priests to walk in front of it, each carrying a ram's horn. Then he gave orders to the people, march around the town, and the armed men will lead the way in front of the Ark of the Lord. So basically, Joshua obeyed God through every step of the way. He said, this is what God said, and this is how we will do it. We will march, we will blow the trumpet, and then eventually, we will do the shouting. And how did the priests and the people respond? In the same way, they chose to carry out God's plan. After Joshua spoke to the people, the seven priests with the ram's horn started marching in the presence of the Lord, blowing the horns as they marched, and the Ark of the Lord's Covenant followed behind them. Some of the armed men marched in front of the priests with the horns and some behind the ark with the priests continually blowing the horns. You see, this is something that the people of God and Joshua did. They followed God every step. They followed God and carried out his plan. And what made them do that? What enabled them to make that choice? What helped them carry out God's battle plan? Hebrews 11.30 tells us the reason. It says, it was by faith that the people of Israel marched around Jericho for seven days and the walls came crashing down. You see, the story of Jericho, the battle of Jericho here in Joshua 6 is a story of faith. The walls of Jericho fell because Joshua and the people of Israel believed God. And what exactly they, 
believed in. It was a faith that is not a leap in the dark, but it was a faith that is based on two things. First, they had faith in God's presence. Faith in God's presence. Look at the first instruction that Joshua gave to the people in verse 6. So Joshua called together the priests and said, Take up the Ark of the Lord's Covenant. In verse 11, So the Ark of the Lord was carried around the town once that day, and then everyone returned to spend the night in the camp. Here in Joshua 6, the Ark of the Lord was mentioned 10 times. And as we've learned before, the Ark represents God's presence. It symbolizes God's presence with His people. God Himself instructed the people, particularly Joshua, to place the Ark ahead of the people. It is God's way of saying, I'm going to lead this war. I'm going to lead you in this fight. I'm going to win this battle for you, for my glory. That is what God is saying. I will be with you. I will fight for you. I will be with you. You see, it is God's presence that made all the difference. It was God's presence that made victory possible. And so here was the actual strategy. God called them to march and blow the trumpet and shout, but God was with them. And so that is the game changer. God was with them and victory is guaranteed because of that truth. Second, the people had also faith in God's promises. Faith in God's promises. Look at verse 2. But the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, its kings and all its warriors. Notice what God said. I have given you Jericho. I have given you. It's already in the present perfect tense. It's already completed. God says, it is something that I have already done. Jericho is yours. The action has not even started, but God said, it is done. It is guaranteed. And this guarantee is what Joshua and the Israelites held onto. They had faith in the promises of God and obeyed the Lord. And as God controlled the nature and helped them cross the Jordan River, the people of God also believed that God would be able to help them to overcome a man-made structure, the walls of Jericho. They put their hope in God's presence and God's promises. How about you? As you face your difficulties, as you face your challenging situation, do you have faith in God's presence? As you deal with your difficult circumstances, are you holding on to God's promises? May the Lord help us. Last January 21, we had a breakfast meeting for our leaders at Makers Cafe, and we praise God for this opportunity. Our speaker was Pastor Albert C., and he shared something very encouraging and inspiring. He said that in their company, they made this decision not to give bribes to the BIR. Yes, you heard that correctly, not to give bribes to the BIR. In Tagalog, walang lagay. They made that decision. And people would say, that's impossible. Imposibling wala kayong lalagyan because it's the norm. But praise God, Pastor Albert and his team had this faith. We will not give bribes to the BIR. Walang lagay. And by God's grace, the Lord honored Pastor Albert's faith. Of course, the company did their best. They did their homework. They studied the tax code. They built relationship with the officers. And then they persevered year in and year out and praised God that they were able to do it. All they, all they are paying right now is the right assessment fee. 
because of their faith, because of their faith in God's promise, because of their faith in God's presence, God enabled them to gain victory over the impossible. In the same way, may God also help us as we face our challenges. Now let's go back to our text. In Joshua 6, to 11, uh, 8 to 11, it says, Joshua gave this additional command. Do not shout, do not even talk. Not a single word from you until I tell you to shout. Now why the silence? Why did Joshua commanded the people, march around the city, blow the trumpets, but keep quiet until that day? Why the silence? You see, it was their mouths that got them into trouble in the first place in the last 40 years in the wilderness. God intended to bring the people into the promised land, but the first batch, the first generation of Israelites complained and said, no, there's so many giants in the land. We will not be able to overcome them. And because of their unbelief, God punished that generation except for Joshua and Caleb. God intended to bring people into a land of blessing, but the people grumbled and complained against God every step of the way, even in the wilderness. They complained to God when they were hungry. They complained to God when they were thirsty. They complained to God when they were suffering. In all and every step, they were opening their mouths and always attacking God, rebelling against God, complaining. And so no wonder God commanded them, keep your mouth shut in this particular time. God tells them the wisest thing that you can do for yourself as you face your difficulty is to keep your mouth shut, trust and obey. Trust and obey and be silent and follow God in reverence. That's the best thing that you can do. Obey God in silence and just follow him. Now, how many of you would say that I wish I could have held my tongue. I think if I hold my tongue, my marriage would have been in a better place. If I have kept quiet, perhaps I had a better relationship with my children. If I only knew how to hold my tongue, I would have a great relationship at work. You see, a lot of times, nobody regrets their silence. But most of the time, everybody regrets what they have spoken. And so when we're following God, let's do our best to, to just follow in reverence, in silence, irrespective of how you feel. Just follow the Lord, even though it doesn't make sense. Let's just keep quiet and trust in His wisdom, in His guidance, in His power. Don't rely on your own wisdom and don't depend on your experience or resources. Instead, trust God completely and carry out God's plan. Remember to gain victory over the impossible. Know who's the one in charge and carry out God's plan by faith. The last, keep on going. Keep on going. Joshua 6, 12 to 14. Joshua got up early the next morning and the priests again carried the ark of the Lord. The seven priests with the ram's horn marched in front of the ark of the Lord, blowing their horns. Again, the armed men marched both in front of the priests with the horns and behind the ark of the Lord. All this time, the priests were blowing their horns. On the second day, they again marched around the town once and returned to the camp. They followed this pattern for six days. Now question, why did God ask the Israelites to march around the wall six times or six days in a row, one time a day? And why did God ask the people of Israel to march around the, the wall on day seven, seven times? Why did God do this? Couldn't the walls have fallen on the first day or the third or the fifth? 
Why all the marching? You see, it's to build their faith. God says, march around the city and wait on my timing. Now, what makes this difficult? You see, the command is so simple. March around the city, blow the trumpets, and at the right time, shout. The command is so simple, but it is not easy. Why? You see, the people of Israel received the instructions from Joshua one day at a time. And every morning, Joshua gives the same command. March around the city and keep your mouth shut. So imagine if you're that soldier, every morning you would prepare and wake up. Joshua, what's your command for today? And Joshua would tell you, okay, um, make a formation, move around the city, blow the trumpets, and then shut your mouth. After that, go back to camp. And then the next day, you would do the same. Joshua, what's your command for the day? Day two, you would march around the city. You would uh, keep your mouth shut. The trumpets will be blown. And that after one time, you will return to the camp. And so the people would do this every morning. They would march around the city for about 30 minutes. They would keep quiet and return to camp. And then the next day, they would march, keep quiet, return to camp. And then the next day, they would do the same. And again and again until the sixth day. And on the seventh day, they would do it seven times. And every time the people march around, here's what's, what's difficult. They see no progress. What they're doing is so boring. It doesn't make sense. There's nothing going on. Nothing's happening. There's no progress. There's no crack in the walls. No stones are falling off. Nothing is happening. And so imagine if you're that soldier moving around, what would you feel? What would you do? Perhaps you'll be discouraged and say, no, I, I don't want to do this. I want to quit. I want to give up. That is something that makes it difficult because there's no progress. But in reality, there's something happening. Yes, there's nothing happening externally, but internally something is going on. God is working in the hearts of his people and God is teaching them to wait on his timing and God is training them to persevere in obedience. And for me, this reality is also an encouragement. As a pastor, one of my primary responsibility is to study God's word, prepare the sermon, and then preach it and teach it. And that is something I do over and over again. And at times, I find it challenging to continue. Why? Because it seems there's no progress. I'm unsure if it's making a difference and if the lives of people are being changed. And I think it is something also that our uh, team or staff are doing, perhaps in the creative team, they do the recording week in and week out, they do the creatives and all those things. And even the other pastors, they do their specific leading of, of groups over and over again. But sometimes it's challenging because it seems that there's no progress. But praise God, the Lord reminded me that I must keep on going. And so the story of Joshua is also a reminder that we are not the one in charge the Lord is my master and I am his servant and my calling is to obey him faithfully. For me, it's preaching and teaching, study God's word, prepare the sermon, preach and teach and disciple. For others, it's doing the admin work, making sure that the back end support of uh, doing church is maintained and um, kept uh, moving. And, and we have to do this. Yes, there's no immediate results, but God is working and our task is to keep on going. So dear brothers and sisters, I encourage you, just keep on going. Breakthrough will happen. You just have to be patient. Don't quit because the breakthrough that you might be waiting for might be closer than it seemed.
I remember the story of Florence Chadwick. At age 32, she's the first woman to swim the English Channel in both directions. And in 1952, she attempted to swim the 26 miles between California coastline and Catalina Island. And on that particular day, she had to swim for 15 hours. But because of the heavy fog that suddenly appeared, she could not see what is ahead of her. Already exhausted and discouraged, she wanted to get into the boat. But the people in the boat kept shouting, Keep swimming! Keep swimming! Go forward! Keep swimming! But sadly, she couldn't take it anymore, and so she quit. She got into the boat, and when she was in the boat, she realized that the, it's, it's only less than half a mile away. Oh, sayang. She's been swimming for 15 hours. Konti na lang. She could have finished it, but she was discouraged and she quit. Brothers and sisters, perhaps you are in that position that you wanted to quit. I don't know what you're facing now, perhaps in the ministry or in your family or in your work, and you're about to quit and saying, throw in the towel. I don't want to do this anymore. I wanted to give up. But here's I want you to remember. Don't quit, but keep going. Because in the end, there will be a reward. Keep on following the Lord and serve Him. Remember what the Apostle Paul said in Galatians 6.9, Let us not get tired of doing what is good. And at just the right time, we will reap the harvest of blessing if we do not give up. And this is God's call to all of us. Perhaps you are, you are serving the Lord and you're following God and say, this doesn't make sense. But I encourage you, keep walking in wisdom. Continue walking in faith. Continue living in purity. God will reward you. You may be a kids ministry teacher, a life group leader, or a journey group leader. Keep on going. Persevere in discipling your students. Persevere in discipling your group. Persevere in teaching others to follow the Lord. You may be a parent. You may be ahead of your family or a leader in your team. Keep on going. I encourage you to live missionally where you live, work and play, and keep on praying for the people that God has put under your care until you see God's breakthrough. Brothers and sisters, let us not quit. Instead, let us keep moving forward and keep on going. Remember, the people of Israel kept going and obeyed. And what's the result? Look at these verses in verses 15 to 16. On the seventh day, the Israelites got up at dawn and marched around the town as they had done before. But this time they went around the town seven times. And the seventh time around, as the priest sounded the long blast on their horn, Joshua commanded the people, Shout for the Lord has given you the town. And when the people heard the sound of the ram's horn, they shouted as loud as they could. Suddenly the walls of Jericho collapsed and Israelites charged straight into the town and captured it. You see, because the people of God kept going, they experienced victory over the impossible. And dear church, this is God's calling to all of us as well. Let us be patient and let us endure and let us keep on going. Let us keep on obeying the Lord because God wants us to gain victory over the impossible. God is in charge and God calls us to carry out His plan, but we need to keep on going. That is God's call for us to gain victory over the impossible. Now, before I continue, I would like to address two issues at hand. First is the Battle of Jericho. Is it fact or fiction? Here's an interesting article. 
a study of the ceramic remnants, the royal scarabs, the carbon-14 dating, seismic activity in the region, and even some ruins of the tumbled walls produce what is being called an impressive evidence that the fortified city was destroyed in the late Bronze Age, about 1400 BC, coinciding with the possible date of the Israelite invasion. In other words, there's a strong evidence that this Battle of Jericho is a fact. It is a historical reality. It is not just a Bible story or a fiction. Also, Dr. Brian Wood of the University of Toronto published this article in the 1990 issue of Biblical Archaeology Review. He said, When we compare the archaeological evidence at Jericho with the biblical narrative describing the Israelite and the destruction of Jericho, we find a quite remarkable agreement. In other words, he says that there's a strong evidence that the Battle of Jericho is a historical fact, and he actually compared certain evidences that describes the biblical narrative and how it matched with the findings in their diggings. And so the point is, the, the story of the Battle of Jericho is a historical fact that we can uh, be certain of. And here's the second issue. How about the complete destruction of the city? Is it morally questionable? Because it says in Joshua 6.21, they completely destroyed everything in it with their swords, men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, goats, and donkeys. Then the Israelites burned the town and everything in it. Only the things made from silver, gold, bronze, or iron were kept for the treasury of the Lord's house. You see, some have argued that the account of the Jericho's destruction put the Bible in a morally compromising position. They say if God himself ordered the killing, then he is not God, then he is not loving. But here's the key, and this is what we need to understand. Joshua chapter 6, and the whole story of Joshua is a story of God's justice and mercy. Let me explain. Back in Genesis chapter 15, God already promised Abraham that he will give the land to his descendants. But this will happen in the fourth generation. Why? God said, for the sins of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. In other words, God says that their sin has not been, does not warrant their destruction. It means that God has been being patient with the Canaanites. He is giving them a chance to turn around and to change their ways. Now, ancient evidence suggests that, or shows us that the Canaanites practice child sacrifice, ritual prostitution, sodomy, witchcraft, and other sins, including idol worship. But despite their depravity, God has shown his patience and long suffering. You see, from the time of Abraham up to the time of Joshua, God has given the Canaanites more than 500 years to repent of their sins, to turn away from their wickedness before God destroyed them. That's the mercy of God. That's the patience of God. But the Canaanites continued living in their sin. And so God brought his judgment and destroyed them through the people of Israel. And that's the justice of God. Now, God is not playing favorites because he himself also applied the same mercy and justice to his own people, Israel. And you could read this story in the, first, in the book of the first Kings and second Kings. When the people of Israel settled in the promised land, they followed the sinful ways of the Canaanites whom God removed from the land. The people of Israel, they too worship idols, sacrifice their children. They provoke God to anger because of their idolatry. But despite their sins, God showed patience and mercy. He did not destroy them immediately. 
Instead, he gave the northern kingdom Israel 200 years before he removed them from the promised land. But since they did not turn away from their sins, God judged them and ordered the Assyrian nation to conquer them and to remove them from the land. In the same way, the southern kingdom of Judah, God gave 350 years before he exiled them. Why 350 years? Because some of the kings were good and some of the kings were bad. And so the good king somehow um, extended God's patience towards them. But then the point is, because they did not fully turn away from their sins, God said, it is time, it, I had enough. And so he sent the Babylonians to exile them. That is the mercy and the justice of God. Not only for the Canaanites, but also to the people of Israel. Now let's go back to the story. You see the story in Joshua and in Jericho is not just the story of God's justice and mercy. It is also a story of God's grace. It is the story of God's grace. The Lord judged Jericho for their sinfulness and wickedness. Jericho means moon and it was probably the center of idol worship, the center of moon worship. But in the midst of God's judgment, God still showed mercy for one family and that's the family of Rahab. Up to the last minute, God opened the way for one family for, or even for, for, for people to be saved if only they would acknowledge God as Lord in their lives, if only they would acknowledge that He is the one who is worthy to be worshipped. And so the family of Rahab experienced this grace from God in the midst of God's judgment in Jericho, in the land of Canaanites. Joshua 6, 22 to 25. Meanwhile, Joshua said to the two spies, keep your promise, go to the prostitute's house and bring her out along with her family. The men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, mother, brothers, and all the other relatives who were with her. They moved her whole family to a safe place near the camp of Israel. And Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute and her relatives who were with her in the house because she had hidden the spies Joshua sent to Jericho and she lives among the Israelites today. And so this is the story of God's justice, mercy, and grace. God is faithful. God, yes, God brings his people from the wilderness into the promised land. But at the same time, God is also judging the Canaanites for their sins, for their wickedness. But God has given them more than enough time. He extended his long patience and suffering towards them. And God also used that, that same standard to his own people. God is the God of justice. God is the God of mercy. But at the same time, God is the God of grace and that he will save. He is open to save those who would call on him and he would hear their cries and he would save them and he would forgive their sins. That is the story of Rahab that we learned here in Joshua. And that is the story that God is inviting us into as well. Wherever you are in, whatever your situation is, God is ready to forgive you God is ready to restore you. God is ready to bless you. But the question is, would you be willing to side and to surrender your life to the Lord? Would you be willing to acknowledge God as Savior and Lord in your life? So may the Lord help us. And so today we learn this important lesson that to gain victory over the impossible, know who's in charge, carry out God's plan and keep on going. Whatever difficulties you're facing, don't quit. Whatever challenges, whatever battles that you are fighting, walk by faith, hold on to God's presence, hold on to God's promise, and continue to move forward 
knowing that God can give you victory over the impossible. But you have to do your part. Remember, to gain victory over the impossible, know who's in charge, carry out God's plan, and keep on going. To gain victory over the impossible, know who's in charge, carry out God's plan, and keep on going. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the story of Joshua in this battle of Jericho. Thank you for reminding us that we, Lord God, we are just your servants. You are the one who is in charge of our lives. You are our master. You are our Lord. We are just your servants. Forgive us for the many times we failed to understand this reality. Forgive us for failing to surrender to your authority. Lord, all we want is to control our, our lives, but because we believe the lie that we don't need you, that we can live our lives on our own, in our own way, in our own style, in our own terms. But Father, forgive us, Lord, and we acknowledge that you are indeed the one who is in charge, the one who is sovereign, the one who is Lord. Forgive us, Lord, and help us to return to you. We acknowledge you that you are our Lord and Master, that we are your servants. And Father, as we fight our battles, as we face the walls of impossibility before us, would you please give us breakthrough and show us your glory. Show us your mercy and grace. Father, heal our sickness. Restore our broken relationships. Comfort our pain. Provide for our needs. Show us the way how to move forward. Give us the wisdom. Give us understanding, the knowledge and discernment. How to live a life that is wise, that is pleasing before you. And so, grant us success. Give us the courage. Give us the strength. And give us the endurance to obey you wholeheartedly. Give us the patience to endure. Thank you, Father, for we know that you hear our prayers through Christ our Lord. And Father, we commit to you our time. May you alone be honored and glorified in our lives. And as you bow your head, receive this benediction. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. In the name of the Father, the Son, in the Holy Spirit. Amen, amen, and amen. Thank you again for joining us. God bless us all. See you again next time.